Hello, everyone. A very quick one from me. It would be a massive help to us with our ambition to help as many recruiters as possible achieve their goals and also inspire the next generation to choose recruitment as a career if you hit that follow and subscribe button. If you're someone that prefers to learn in a visual way, we've also recently invested a lot in our video podcast experience. So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Isha Mazuz, and on this week's episode, I was joined by Lewis Gadsden, who has built out a successful career over the last seven or so years at Wiser Elite. Now, before that, he was destined to become an actor. But after giving it a real go, getting a bunch of different gigs, he kick-started his recruitment career with a point to prove at 25 years old and hasn't looked back since. We dug into so much on this episode from how he's gone about mastering the player coach role, how he manages his time to perform and get the best out of his team, how he went about holding the top performer title back to back, what good BD strategies look like and so much more. Enjoy the episode. Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. What do you think of the space? It's awesome. It's good. It's like a proper professional setup. I'm not saying you wouldn't have been professional before, but this is next level. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't always this. <laughs> Started on the mobile phone in the bedroom, mate. Yeah. So, yeah, but really looking forward to this. Like, I've really enjoyed our conversations, interactions. I know that you came to the live podcast of them yep. last year and, and these types of things. So I think really excited to talk about this journey that you've been on. Plenty to unpack, plenty to learn from. So I guess like I always like to do on these uh, episodes, it just gives some immediate context in terms of where is Lewis on his recruitment journey. Yeah. So we're just saying that you've been in the game, the recruitment game now for nearly seven years. Yeah. And I think what I find really interesting is that for a lot of that time, you've been in a player manager role since 2018. Yeah. So player manager being that you're someone that is still very much hitting a number performing, but also then responsible for managing a team, getting the most out of them, these types of things, right? Correct, yeah. Cool. So I think some of the key things that we put down here, so you've always, I know it's sort of sometimes fluctuated or whatever, but I think you've always ended up leading and managing a team of around five people. Yeah, four to five people. Four to five people, right. And that is that where you're at right now? Yeah, currently managing a team of four, four. five myself included, yeah. Okay, awesome. And I think one of the things quite notably is, so 2019... Yeah. 2020. Yeah. Lewis kept hold of the top performer title at Wiser. And your best year billings wise has been 380 grand. Yeah. And obviously bearing in mind that's whilst being in a player manager role. Yeah. Correct. Right? Yeah. So loads to unpack here. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to be talking about business development, time management, because I know that's something that you're known for building communities, because I know that's something that you guys have done really successfully. But where we always like to start is the million pound question. So I'd love to get your take, Lewis. What are the common characteristics and traits that you believe make up a, a highly successful recruiter in today's market? Let's start there. I'll tell you what I normally look for when hiring someone. First and foremost, you need to be a bit nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, I mean, in a sense of you have to be comfortable 
not fully being in control. If you're a control freak, recruitment is probably going to come hard at you. Mm. So you can always have your process. You can literally nail the preparation. You can nail your messaging. You can nail your registering, your qualifying, your CV sends, all of that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, you cannot do an interview for your candidate. Recruitment is one of the only businesses in the world where your product has emotions. It has finances, the weather, relationships, sports, pets, whatever. All of that sort of thing, which can knock it on any one given day. And it all comes down to a human impressing another human over a course of half an hour or an hour, <laughs> which is madness when you break it down like that, isn't it? It's absolutely, yeah, it's it's absolutely mad. So if you're a control freak, you got no hope. So that's the first thing that I look out for. Second thing I would say, and in my current team, under the like current regime, everyone's got this in some capacity. They need to make it work in mm. recruitment. They need to make it work. There needs to be an underdog story or something going against them, a point to prove a chip on the shoulder. Not to like immediately make it all about me, but when I started in recruitment, I was 25. Mm. So I was a bit older than most. I was a failed actor. Yeah. My girlfriend lived in London. I was living back home with my parents in Norfolk. We were on completely different working <laughs> schedules because I was doing hospitality jobs to support myself. And also my degree wasn't worth the paper it was written on because guess what? I did a degree in acting. So <laughs> all of that sort of thing stacked up against me. And when an opportunity like Wiser came knocking and I managed to, to get that foot in the door, I was going to move hell and earth to make it work because I needed to. I wanted a better life for myself. And that was it. And, and then from there, God bless my in-laws. They live in Oxford. They took me in as well, pretty much rent-free. So I'll never forget that. And I commuted for 10 months from Oxford, three hours, 20 minutes every day. Grim. To add insult to injury, the train times didn't really align either. So I'd either end up being five minutes late into the office or 40 <laughs> minutes early. So guess what? 40 minutes early nearly <laughs> every day. And I did, we did that for 10 months until basically we got ourselves into a good enough position to, to start renting a place, me and, my, me and my girlfriend, who's now my wife. So it all worked out pretty well in the end. But taking it back to the question... Something that, to prove. That's what we need. There's there's one person in my team who slept on a sofa for nine months mm. and he's now one of our top performers. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Th that sort of behaviour, those characteristics that you need to be successful in the recruitment because it's not easy and it's definitely not the best paid to start off with. Mm. Love that. I'd, I'd probably say what I'd add to that, I don't know what you think, but you're not saying that you need to have that to be successful, right? But it can damn help. If it's something that I automatically look out for, yeah, of course you don't need to be there. I know some excellent recruiters mm. that, you know, on the face of things did not need to make it work or did not need to make it work in any mm. way, shape or form. But, and I'm not saying you need to be as extreme as how I did it and have <laughs> everything stacked against you. But look, it helps for mm. sure. It helps and it helps me make a decision. So I, I have to ask, because when, when you said it, I was like, oh, really? Like, talk to me about this acting journey, mate. Like, what did we learn from it? What was most difficult that you was most surprised by? Yeah. Like, yeah, obviously that was, like you said, I don't know what we want to call it. Like, the one, I guess that would have been the challenging period, right? Because I'm assuming you would have sort of been telling people that I'm an actor, I'm going to be an actor, these yeah. things. And then there would have been a moment where you're like, fuck, yeah, this, I'm not sure this is actually who I'm going to be. And then obviously recruitment ended up giving you an awesome opportunity and you made the most out of it. But what what do we learn from that acting period? Yeah, I look back at it, it as a bit of a quarter life crisis. <laughs> not not going to lie, but growing up as a kid, like it was always what I was going to do. It was always what I was going to do. I was like 
locally known for like Amdram performances, doing all those sorts of things in the local paper for doing it. My high school was a performing arts college as well. It was meant to be written in the stars for me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It was going to happen. And do you know what? I literally gave it my all, put all my eggs in that basket and obviously then went on to uni, did that, got my acting degree. And I worked for two years solely, hence why I was 25 when I started recruitment. I worked for two and a bit years solely supporting myself with acting work. Mm. Did okay, don't be wrong. Hadn't moved out, still lived at home for the most part, but I was going on tours and doing all that Anything sort of thing. Anything that we'd... Any, have you got I'm any, never, those, I'm got not any, saying any in any way, shape or really? form, is it? Oh, <laughs> a couple of adverts. Really? Couple of, yeah, a couple of adverts. And uh, yeah, a couple of theatre tours, which were which, which, which was great. Yeah. But then I just always find myself at the end of each job just being like, I need structure. Mm. I need structure. And I expect I can be working harder. Like in acting, it's funny. So many people want to do it, mm. but so many people just end up waiting around for the phone to ring. Mm. Their agents are cool. And it was, yeah, it was fine. But I was always actively seeking work. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm outworking my agent here and trying to get myself different jobs. And I was doing jobs that weren't glamorous. I was doing jobs that, you know, might have been looked down upon by the upper echelon of actors. But guess what? I was supporting myself mm. as an actor. Weirdest and I was job working. that you've done? Huh? Weirdest job that you've done? I would say it's a weirdest job. But we, we, <laughs> we, I did, like, I had, a, I had a steady gig in acting, which was doing theatre and education. So touring around schools and whatnot. Okay. It's quite funny. Walked past Central Foundation School this morning, just near XOYO over there. I was like... <laughs> Not only have I been in XOYO, but I've also taught at that school. <laughs> so it was uh, it was quite funny, but I did that, and that was a steady gig in between the better, more glamorous jobs, should we say? But look, I, I just I took stock when, like, it, was, it would have been 20, 2016. and like I said, I was doing hospitality jobs in the interim of not acting, and my girlfriend was working nine to five office. I was working evening and weekends. It was long distance, didn't work. It was put massive strain on it. And I was just like, I just expect more from my life. Mm. I expect more. I can be doing more. I can work harder than this. Uh, and that's when I just had the epiphany. I'm like, right, okay, now's the time. Yeah, no, I'm going to the bud and put, get, put, that, uh, put that on the back burner and uh, see where we end up and focus on uh, making sure we've got a good trajectory mm. first. Now, the way you talk about that, I think we can apply this to recruitment, right? And I'm, I'm sure you've had people maybe in your team or whatever, but I think there's nothing wrong with being able to look in the mirror and go, you know what, I've given it my all and yeah. maybe this isn't right or whatever. And you can you can absolutely apply that to recruitment, but the real question is, did you give it your all, you know? Yeah. So, no, I had, I had to ask, and it is really interesting you say that. I, I always like to have conversations in soreness <laughs> at, the, <laughs> at the gym and there's a guy that I spoke to as an actor and I was like, we yeah. spoke about it and he said about yeah. the things that you said and it, I feel like there's quite a lot of jobs like that. So I'd say like personal trainer, yeah. You might get into it because you love fitness and these things, mm-hmm. but it's fucking sales. Like you're not getting oh, any cl- you're not getting any clients unless you go out to them and speak to them and go, have you got these problems? Have you got these challenges? But like if you just expect if you think oh, I'm going to become a PT and then I'm going to get clients, it doesn't work like that. And it was sort of the same that this guy was saying around acting. So I'm not surprised you're saying that. You ha- it's uh, like oh, I don't just like get to do amazing jobs that I really like. I actually have to do BD and like network and speak to people and like there's there's a lot to it, isn't there? So it's yeah. just it's just interesting you you saying that. So just to to frame it up then. So I think you said that. Early on, so you've pretty much done sort of, you've only hired and done SDRs only 
Yeah. I think you put here what, from 2021 or was it before then? Yeah, from January 2021, we solely focused on SDRs because that was when me and Lauren, my team at the time, moved across to Wiser Elite. Mm. But before that was Wiser Graduates. Um, but my team was always tech sales. Yeah. So we were doing entry-level positions into customer success, account management, SDRs, inside sales, all of those sorts of things. But it was always tech-focused, always sales-focused, mm. um, but predominantly entry-level. So it's typically entry-level, right? Yeah. So talk to me about looking back then, what were some of the, like, you clearly had a point to prove. Yeah. You wanted to make it work. You were committed. So you clearly got to a point where you could support yourself and your partner 10 months in. Yeah. How difficult was the early period, like looking back, like anything stand out in terms of what was extremely difficult? What were some of the biggest challenges that you had to work through, overcome early on? What did Lewis had to, to yeah, really work on to make sure that you didn't then fail at recruitment? If you don't mind, I'll frame it as in a sense of like what I tell old Lewis. Yeah, let's nah, do that. Yeah, let's do that. So first and foremost, you're going to build 14K in your first month. You're not sick at recruitment, <laughs> right? You're not sick at recruitment. You haven't worked it out. You're not some sort of recruitment prodigy. You're going to go the next eight weeks and you're going to build fuck all. Okay? <laughs> you're going to build fuck all. There's going to be moths flying around your name on the money board and all that sort of thing. But don't worry. <laughs> It's all going to work out all right in the end. But um, the first tangible bit of advice that I'd probably give is build out relevant LinkedIn connections early. Mm. So your LinkedIn page is like your shop front. Mm. Yeah. If you have a couple of hundred to a thousand connections on LinkedIn, your shop front is effectively, I don't know, Millie's cookies, Ben's cookies, whatever. <laughs> Normally a little stand. I love Millie's or Ben's cookies, but they're like little little stands, mm. right? Whereas in actual fact, we get start getting into the tens of thousands and all that sort of thing. We're talking Sports Direct or Selfridges. Like, you know what I mean? You want people browsing your shop and hopefully hoping to buy. So that that is the first thing I wish I'd have done early doors. And that's what I tell my team to do from now on. Be on your phone. It actually works better on the LinkedIn app. Uh, to actually make connections with people as opposed to doing it on your desktop. So if you want to build a search of relevant people in your market, so if you're a recruiter, obviously ours was like SDRs, sales directors, heads of sales, go on the LinkedIn app, build a search there, and you can actually just hit them one-touch connections. Really? Yeah, one-touch oh, when you've got the search on? Yeah, obviously there's now a massive limit as, as what you can do now. There's 100, 100 a week or something like that. It didn't used to be like that, but still those connection requests should be topped up all the time. Mm. Making sure you're in the shop window for people to see what the hell you're up to and start rating you. I'd also say the biggest thing you can do is actually invest in relationships early, build relationships. The best recruiters I've seen do not facilitate transactions, in this case, placements. You know, you don't just take the brief, find the candidate, send it, place it, thank you very much, see you later, and don't get to actually invest in your client or know them. My first taste of this, so mum's a hairdresser, dad's a fruit and veg man on Great Yarmouth Marketplace. Have you ever been to Great Yarmouth? I'm sorry, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but in that vicinity, and this is this is where I came to realise that quite early on, my dad had a fruit and veg stall, but there were four other fruit and veg stalls within 100 foot of each other, okay? And my dad's was always the busiest. And you rack your brains and I'm like, well, why was it always the busiest? not selling any different fruit, any different veg. His prices are probably a little bit higher than the rest. There's no real difference, but yet people are queuing up to, to speak to my dad and, and buy their fruit and veg from him and not go into the other four stalls. And it was because my dad invested in people. Mm. People didn't come to the stall to buy fruit and veg. That was a byproduct. 
They came to have a conversation with my dad because even when they were walking past and not buying anything, he was always shouting people, saying hello, having a little interaction with them, ask them about them, invest in it. It's almost like therapy for some people, I think, that used to come to the stall, especially like lonely older people. <laughs> they were like absolutely adamant that they would just go to my dad's for his fruit and veg. And it's exactly the same in recruitment. Mm. I encourage my team to always spend time with people that can help them, not in a selling capacity. So for example, you know, and it's, it's a little bit strange to people, especially in the beginning when they're a bit junior. And it's like, what you mean? We're going to go for a meeting. We're going to go meet Hish, but we're not going to have a client briefing. Or we're not going to try and sell to him. All of that sort of thing. I'm like, no, we're going to go for dinner. Mm. We're going to go for a beer, you know, we're, or anything like that. And we're just going to catch up and shoot the shit. Mm. Like, that's it. That's it. And then if you focus on that, the rest of it comes. When the time's right, the rest of it comes. People do not like to be sold to. Mm. So, yeah, invest in relationships early. Mm. And probably the last bit of advice that I'd give is chill the fuck out. <laughs> it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Is what my granddad always used to say. It's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. Oh, fuck it, I'll share it. But I've never, I've never really told anyone, but my granddad actually passed away the day before my final interview at Wiser. Oh, wow. Okay. It was expected. It was expected. So it doesn't make it any easier, but it was expected. And then obviously it was a bit like, right, okay, what do I do here? Do I cancel this interview? Well, I still go, yeah. yeah, do I cancel this interview? Or, you know, more out of respect or anything. Like I said, it was expected. But at the same time, saying that phrase, it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. And then going back to that sheer want, that need to make it work, he wouldn't want me to pass up the opportunity. Me not mm. going is not going to bring him back. Mm. So maybe in this case, not as bad as it seems. Mm. Hopped in my car, went to London, got the job, and here we are nearly seven years later. So mm. it was the right decision. And whenever it gets high or low in recruitment, whenever we're doing like... I mentioned in our prep 18 months ago, obviously things were going great. Like literally it was awesome. But again, never get too high. It's never as good as it seems. And in the past six months where it's been a little bit tougher, we've had to work much harder. It's never as bad as it seems. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's so, these sort of little simple phrases, mantras are like just so useful to have, you know. So no, thank you for sharing that. And I think that that is a great one. It's never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. That is a, uh, that that definitely can help me when I have wobbles or these types of things. It's And I think it's just as important as you just said, when it is really good, Yeah, you know, to remember... Because typically it's like we want to hear like how do you deal with the bad times? But it's like how do you deal with the fucking good times? Because if you're just going out, spending all your money, yeah. getting really high on the highs, then you're going to come crashing down. That's even more challenging. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you on the building relationships piece just quickly was I really buy into that. I don't know what it was, but I just sort of bought into that quite early in terms of like I just believe in business karma. I just do or like just good karma in general. Yeah. Like I just always feel like if you give more than you get, it just always plays out, right? Yeah. But that can be hard sometimes when you've got a manager going, Lewis, you haven't made the dolls this week or what, you're just meeting that person and you, you're you not working with them, you know? It's, it's hard to juggle. So I guess my, my question for you on that is what are some of the lagging indicators that we can keep an eye on that can make you feel like, well, no, like this is starting to pay dividends and it is going in the right direction? Because I'm sure this is what you maybe try and highlight with your team when you're like, no, look, this is, this will play out and, and it will play out. What are some of the lagging indicators of, yeah, it sort of reinforcing that, no, building relationships, not being transactional 
is going to massively help me in the long run. Are there any lagging indicators that sometimes you sort of pick out or get a sense of or sometimes have your team recognised to make them feel confident that, no, this is going to play out in the long run? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Sourcebreaker. And today I wanted to talk to you about sales opportunities and how Sourcebreaker can help. Because are you tired of the competition beating you to new sales opportunities? Do you want to make more placements from your existing resources? Who doesn't? Transform the way you work with Sourcebreaker. Revolutionizing recruitment with AI-powered technology, Sourcebreaker powers you with laser-accurate search results across all your sourcing platforms to build candidate pools filled with highly qualified individuals, all from one place, not from multiple tabs in different places. You will get perfect fit opportunities automatically tracking relevant vacancies and events in your market niche in real time and pre-built automations that constantly scope your markets to deliver high quality results at speeds your competitors simply can't match. Head over to sourcebreaker.com for more information. Back to the episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's not a tangible thing, but it is a feeling. Like, do you know what mm. I mean? It is a feeling. You know full well if you get along well with someone. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? You know full well if they rate you and they rate what you do and they rate your service. The key thing is always making sure, okay, looking at the long-term vision, is this going to go somewhere at any one time? Can we identify a time where this will be beneficial doesn't always need to be beneficial like a lot of my clients i actually you know they've turned friends and i actually just enjoy spending time with them i go meet them for a beer like do you know what i mean it's, mm. it's absolutely fine but you know there always does need to be that thing in the back of your mind of look don't sell to them straight away don't think that you need to come back after one meeting bang rolls mm. retainer or anything like that but just know that at some point it can get there mm. it can get there it's the right person and that's 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 another thing as well, which I'd probably not to jump around a bit, but advise to Lewis seven years ago is identify your champions early, mm. especially when you're placing in a in a more entry level market. They are the leaders of three years time, four years time, five years time, whatever else it may be. But for example, there's a number of SDRs that I placed in my first year that have now are now heads of sales. Mm. They're now decision makers. They now have clout to, to bring us in and do that. And if you keep hold of those relationships and don't just treat it like a fee, actually treat them like relationships, friendships. Now, in, again, you're in that shop window. You're in prime position in that shop window. Mm. Like, and, and, and that's something that we definitely take forward. So, yeah, they would be sort of the indicators for me. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I know, I know sometimes it can be quite hard to sort of have like tangible things, but I wanted to ask. So let's get into Lewis being a top performer then. Sure. What year was your best year then? 2019 or 2020? 2020. 2020? Yeah. Okay. So we'll, let, let's firstly talk about 2019. What were some of the things that you think you did very well that year to, to get the top performer spot? As we all know, it's it's very competitive externally, but it's very competitive internally. Yeah. Right? So getting the top performer spot is, is absolutely something to be proud of. Maybe let's start with business development because I feel like that is particularly right now, that is something that a lot of people are on a journey with, find it more difficult. Yeah. In 2019, get the first time to be the top performer. Like what is it that Lewis did really well on the on the BD side? What played out? What did you do really well? Yeah, good. So the key thing that we did, to be honest with you, there wasn't, there wasn't like much tangible 
changes that I made in 2019 on the BD front. Mm-hmm. But there were things that we started introducing, like, for example, partnerships. We started refining our messaging. That's been the key thing there. But with to put it into a tangible thing with with actual messaging, like we always look back at, at and this is Kyle Coleman, this is a tech sales thing, mm-hmm. the five by five by five rule. Okay. So five minutes of research on a prospect, try and get five key insights and then spend five minutes actually writing the message. I mean, don't spend any longer on it. So you've got personalization, you've got key insights that they would find interesting that are probably personalized to them and introduce us into the job table and then and then obviously send thereafter. And that was pretty revolutionary in a sense of changing the, how we messaged people back then because it was just like a bombardment of full messages. This is what we do. Here's a full catalog. Here's our deck. Here's what we do. And it's just completely overwhelming when in actual fact, short, sharp, personalized messages were were much better. But that's something we started introducing then. Whether that was completely pivotal to, to me being the top biller in 2019, I'm not sure, but it was something that we started. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great share. So there were five minutes. Yeah. So like if I go on Lewis and he's in my ideal client profile, yeah. ideal customer profile, even obviously candidate as well, I'm assuming, five minutes of looking at his profile, what insights can I get? What has he been talking about recently that I can potentially use in my message? Then you said, what, five minutes of shit, like writing the message? Yeah. And then what was the other five minutes? Five key insights. Oh, sorry. Five key insights. Yeah, yeah. Five. Five minutes research. Five key insights as a result of that research. Five minutes writing the message. Don't spend any longer on it. Mm. Move on to the next one because otherwise you're going to be there for ages. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. So just to make it even more tangible, give me an example of what a key insight might be like a common key insight that you might use in your world, one or two key insights? Funding could well be the fact that they see that they're hiring, could well be the fact that the person that you're prospecting has just started in a new role, or it could well be on on the other side of us bringing, bringing it to the table. Like let's say they're, they're hiring for the first time, they're a startup that we've messaged. We can bring insights that we've seen before. For example, salespeople, especially at SDR level, are three times more likely to be in the same company a year later if they started with someone else at a similar level. Mm. Loan SDRs in small startups, especially closer to the entry level, don't tend to work out that well. Mm. So that would be another insight that we'd share, stuff that we actually have to to prove yourself as a consultant, right? The mm. clue is in the name, recruitment consultant, whereas some people get caught up in selling too much. Mm. And just on that really quickly, because I think sometimes recruiters aren't helped with understanding what key insights they can offer. Mm -hmm. So how have you helped to make sure that your team are aware of the consulting that they can do, if you get what I mean? Yeah. Because sometimes recruiters aren't, they aren't helped with that. You know, (laughs) they're not equipped with, oh, we have this data and we can use that when we're reaching out to people and that could be really helpful for people that we reach out to shows that we're credible shows yeah. that we're consulted shows that we're interesting so is that something that you review on a quarterly basis where you go hey guys these are some of the things that we continue to find that we can share with our customers that would be valuable and useful i don't know how do you make sure that your guys and girls are equipped with good insights that yeah you actually have available to you the data for the most part isn't even ours mm. uh, it isn't even ours it's stuff that you can find online Mm. Now, garden reports, uh, different. Obviously, we have the sales communities, mm. which have been pivotal for us actually listening to what's happening in tech sales right now. Mm. Like we have trusted community hosts who are people actually in the job, which I'll come on to later when we talk about SDRs of London. But the insight that that delivers, because at the end of the day, I'm not an SDR. Mm. 
I can understand it as well as I possibly can, but I'm not in the trenches doing what they're doing day in, day out. I'm doing something, well, not completely different, but quite different. So having that insight, genuine up-to-date insight and having a tap into your market in that way is completely, you know, invaluable. Yeah, no, I love that. So 2019, got the top performer title. Yeah. How'd that feel, mate? Oh, that was good. Yeah. Really good. It was really good. And uh, I cherish that one more because that one is the one that I actually got to go to the end of year Wiser, Wiser Awards for. Full black tie, got got my trophy, got, you know, my, my vouchers and all of that sort of thing. 2020, even though I build more, <laughs> pandemic came, didn't it? <laughs> pandemic came. So and I, had I, to, I, I had to enjoy in a tuxedo sitting at home. I collected that one on Zoom, yeah. <laughs> yeah so it was good, yeah. Let's talk about 2020 then, because like I've spoken to, I think we spoke about this before, right? Yeah. It can be probably, I don't know what you tell me, but it's more difficult to retain that sort of top performer title or top performer achievement than it is to maybe get it. Yeah. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, no, it was. It was, I think, or, you know, I said, I said when we had our prep and, you know, uh, you know, my friend Niall Simpson, me and him went toe to toe that year and it, yeah, it was spicy right until the last week. Yeah. <laughs> so, so talk to me about, so going into 2020, like what's Lewis's mindset towards one, how are you thinking about, right, how can I one, improve my billings? Yeah. Firstly, because yeah. you might have gone, wow, I've achieved this didn't think I could do that. And then it's like, oh no, now I like, can I do more? You know? Yeah. So what, what was the mindset in terms of like, okay, so how am I now going to be able to improve on what I've just done? And then also then what was you keeping top of mind to have the best chance of, yeah, now you've got this label of, yeah, Lewis was our top performer. How are you then dealing with that? So yeah, firstly, what was top of mind to go, right, how can I now continue to improve rather than this is my level and I'm staying yeah, here, yeah, yeah. you know? Good. Yeah, no, well, obviously, first and foremost, going into that, no one had ever retained top biller or top performer or whatever. So, obviously, that was something that I was determined to do now mm. that I'm there. I'm like, okay, now's my opportunity to do that, which is great. But going into year two, going into 2020, I'm not going to sit here and say it's solely down to all of my actions. There's always an element of luck. Mm. There's always an element of luck. And in this case, we won... The business won. I didn't win it personally. I was part of the process, but didn't win it like single-handedly. We won a half a million pound account, mm. of which I led and I made hay when the sun shone. <laughs> that, that was it. That was the bottom line. But obviously I'd put myself in a position prior to that to obviously be given the opportunity to lead all the delivery on it and do so on and so forth. So I want to make that abundantly clear from the off. But tangible things. First and foremost, I think this was the year where I stopped, like I said before, being too salesy and actually became a consultant, especially in candidate size. It cannot be, I, I soon learned, the narrative from a candidate's perspective cannot be, Hish wants to place me in this job so he gets money. Mm. It needs to be, I cannot or I am far less likely to get this job without Hish's help. Mm. And the only way that you can do that is by first and foremost coaching is the biggest thing. So I'll, I'll come on to that in my preparation like, point shortly, but coaching and organisation. Coaching candidates, sorry. Coaching candidates, yeah. Coaching by, yeah, also just setting an example for and being an expert in the process that you're managing them in. And again, that only comes, going back to my previous point, of building relationships and actually getting to know the businesses that you're working with at a much deeper level than just being like, here's a brief crack on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So so that's that. So that's the first thing, making sure you're presented as a consultant 
not as a salesperson trying to get money. Mm. That's a massive narrative switch for a candidate and a massive respect thing. Secondly, and this comes into the coaching part I was talking about, preparation. I think this was the year I really nailed my candidate prep for interviews. It's a massive problem in the industry where people just, especially at entry level when you're dealing with grads or second jobbers, they basically do the interview for them. Mm. <laughs> in a lot of sense, you think that you need to run hour-long seminars in order to make sure that the candidate gets enough information to nail their interview. Because as I said before, you can't do the interview for them, but this is as close as we can get, <laughs> right? This is as close as we can get. But I didn't do that. My first interview, in most cases, all SDR first rounds look pretty much the same. They're 30-minute chats with either HR or a hiring manager. Cards on the table, are we compatible? Mm. That sort of thing. So as soon as the first interview is booked in, my process is obviously call the candidate, be like, right, this is booked in for then. At least 24 hours before, let's have a little 15 to, uh, to 15 minutes to half an hour prep call. I'm going to send you across some bullet points. And they're always very similar. Like They're not always completely the same because you need to adapt your process given the client. But it'll always be, I want you to come prepared to this prep call that we're going to do with a 20-second overview of the business, the product, and the problems that it solves. Not like any verbatim off the website. I want to know how he's just going to say it. Mm. You know, how you'd say it to, to your friend going for a walk or whatever. The second thing, I want you to come with at least three bullet points of why you want to work for that company specifically. Not saying why you want to be in sales, not saying why you want to be in tech. What is it specifically about that company that gets you going? Mm. You know, why you want to go? Is it the fact that you've identified some awesome progression studies from people on LinkedIn that have been in a similar position? Is it the funding? Is it, you know, is it their branding? I don't know. You know, there's better reasons out there, but I want reasons specific to that company. And then lastly, of course, specific personalised questions for your interviewer. Look at their LinkedIn profile, make sure you've got that. You come prepared to our prep call with all of that and then we'll run through it and see where you're at. And that that's it. And again, you're setting the precedent for candidates. Mm. It's not like, okay, yeah, I'm going to send you all this stuff. Here you go, take a look through and we'll have a little catch up before and then uh, good luck. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've got to be like, okay, and, and then deliver the feedback. If their answers aren't good enough, it'd be like, cool. We need to look at this in a different way. And that's why you do it 24 hours before, because there's still time to fix things then. Mm. If you do it on the morning of, it's too late. Mm. Yeah, that's a great insight there. So in terms of yeah, leading into to coaching people through the process. Yeah. Anything else that, just on that coach piece, anything else that Lewis, the consultant, can coach candidates on or that you would put under that sort of coach title that great recruitment consultants do yeah coaching on their career you know these types of things yeah look i mean i think it's completely important to immerse yourself in the market that you're selling into i most of the time being honest don't feel like i work in recruitment i feel like i work in tech sales Mm. even though i'm not but we are consistently doing events with that market i know you know, a lot of the lot of the LinkedIn top voices like Tom Boston and all of those sorts of people. Um, you know, Morgan Ingram's now doing the elites for us, our, our awards ceremony in May. Like these are all people that I can call upon and message at any one time and just spending time with those people and delivering, getting the insight and almost feeling like you work in the market that you're selling into as opposed to recruitment. But that was a big mindset switch for me and, and yeah, that coaching piece specifically for recruitment consultants. Yeah, that enables you to then offer the insights, right? So let's talk about, because I want to go into SDRs London, right? So yeah. 
let's just focus for a second on Lewis being a playing manager because you, you've been doing it for a while and yep. this is really tough and, and really difficult for a lot of people. It's interesting. I was speaking to some recruiters recently who are top performers and sort of feel like, uh, well, they sort of learned quite quickly that they just didn't like management. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people listen to this have either been forced into management or the only way at the moment in their sort of career pathways in their business, they can evolve their career by going into management, being a plan manager, right? So I guess, why don't we start with like, when Lewis wasn't, if we were being honest, like not that great, learning as you were going, yeah. failing, not being a great Palais manager, but then you were yeah. learning from that to become a better one. What was you doing then that's like different, but now in terms of like you being better, are you doing differently? So let's just start with maybe what was Lewis doing that you looking back, if we're being honest, you wasn't being the best player manager or the, the greatest player manager. Anything there to share that you had to learn the hard way? This podcast is proudly sponsored by Vincherry. And I wanted to start this year by just making things a bit more clear. Last year, Vincherry joined forces with the Access Group. Vincherry has always spoken openly about their ambition to become the recruitment operating system. By partnering with a heavyweight like the Access Group, who shares their vision of providing a single operating system for the front, middle and back office of recruitment firms, there are now no limits to how far Vincherry can take the platform and the experience they provide all of their customers. Vincherry will also become the flagship CRM within Access Recruitment's portfolio or products. It's the same people, same platform, just way more firepower, which is why I'm really excited to continue my partnership with Vincherry this year. Just to make things a bit more clearer as well, Vincherry is offering a really simple offer for all of you listeners of this podcast. If you listen to this podcast and find that Vincherry is a great solution for your recruitment business, you will get 10% off your user license. That's 10% off. Use the show notes and there'll be a link in there to get that discount and book in a demo. Yeah, sure. I think I think the biggest thing in terms of eras of my team, I'm probably we're now in era three. Okay, so there's been three in in my mind. Obviously, they all didn't leave at the same time. There's not like been two mass exoduses since mm. uh, since that. But there's been sort of three turnovers, key turnovers with my team. The first team, and this is comes down to recruitment, right? For yourself, for your own team. I love them to bits. We still get along today. I employed the wrong people. <laughs> I employed the wrong people. My first team was effectively a team of intercepted candidates because <laughs> we'd do that. Obviously, we're working a market that was similar. It's an entry-level commercial go-to-market sales job, whatever you want to call it. They'd come into Wiser HQ, which, as you know, is mm. pretty fucking sick. Mm. Uh, and then they'd just fall in love with the culture. And they'll be like, you know what? Yeah, I can get down with a bit of recruitment. I can do that. Yeah, we can do that. And then... It's not the right reasons. Going back to what I said at the start, a lot of my first team love them, but they didn't need to make it work. Mm. They could walk into many other jobs. You know, they were well-educated, good grades. The, the world was their oyster. Obviously, they were very good at recruitment as well. You know, that, that helped why we employed them. But like, you know, and they were, they were great. But when you obviously work in a market where you're placing a candidate similar to yourself on more money. Mm. It's a bit of a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so, I do, so firstly, maybe got it wrong the first time around. Got it wrong. Got it wrong into, you know, just because they speak well, they're obviously intelligent and they like the look of 
what you're offering doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be right long term. Mm. And that's exactly how it played out. Got a year out of most of them and then they moved on to to other things, predominantly tech companies, you know, as well into into SDR positions and that sort of thing. Second year of my team was was then just completely ripped apart by the pandemic. Not mm. not much we could do there. Some learnings, of course, which I'll keep to myself, but at the same time, like, yeah, it's just <laughs> nothing nothing you could do. Mm. And then we started the what I call third era, which was with with me and Lauren. And then we built things out from there. And then it's a mixture of experienced recruiters, not necessarily in the tech sales market, mm. uh, but then also the right the right grads, the grads that have something to prove and, you know, they can't just go anywhere else and give up when it gets hard. Like they've proven that they can and need to make it work. And that's been pretty damn successful so mm. far. So, And then Lewis, as a manager, yeah, what was you not doing? Maybe not so great at yeah, the good. early periods. Good. I think, I think initially um, the whole, we have a big culture at Wiser of reporting down, which means in, in plain English, just because you're a manager, you don't sit in your ivory tower and you tell people what to do and you set them standards for them, but you, you're in manager land, you're head of department, you're an associate director, you don't need to do the same thing as that. No, we, we get rid of that, balls to that. Every week, at the start of each week, and now I've given the, t uh, the responsibility to my team to lead that meeting every week as well, so it's not just me doing it all the time but we will set objectives or goals for the week. Not Nothing major, four or five. And they could well be like, okay, I'm going to wrap up this deal this week. I'm going to get five first interviews uh, at this particular client. I'm going to secure a new job or at least generate a new client meeting, two LinkedIn posts. And yeah, you know, for example, for me today was to come on here and absolutely smash it. <laughs> and then what we do is we review that. On Wednesday, we have our goals pit stop in the morning go through it all and we'll mark it. Traffic light system, green, is it achieved? Amber, not achieved yet. Red, lost it. That's that. And we keep yourself accountable. And I, my goals go in there all the time. Do I get full green every time? Absolutely not. Mm. Not every week. I did last week though and everyone knew about it. But look, reporting down, I think, is the biggest respect builder that you can do. If you're not proving that you can perform at the same or a better level than your team, then why are you their manager? Mm. Like you need to prove that consistently, mm. you know what I mean? Because that's what does it. And I'm not saying I wasn't doing that to begin with, but I probably just wasn't externalizing it as much as I could. So my advice would be to anyone who's a player manager or a manager right now, show the team what you're made of. Mm. So on this then, if we can go granular for a sec. Yeah. So you mentioned Monday kickoff for the week. Love that. I'm probably going to steal that. I'll do something similar, but I like the Wednesday pit stop. I think I could do that better rather than like a morning yeah. call. Yeah, I think that I really, I'm going to steal the Wednesday pit stop. That's a good one. So just to get a granted for a second, I speak to a lot of playing managers, billing managers who do find it really hard not to get pulled pillar to post. So if it's cool with you, like, could we just break down a bit like Lewis's typical week? I know you're super organized. Yeah. Obviously, you could, there's only so much you can plan for. And like, if I'm in your team and I need help, I'm assuming you're going to help me, right? Yeah. Um, if there's like something I really need your advice on or whatever. But how do you try and set up your week to make sure that Lewis can lead by example? Yeah. And you're doing, yeah, you're trying to lead by example and you're doing what you're doing. So hitting your number, performing. You're also being the manager and you're making sure that people know that if they need help, support, Lewis is there. And then it sounds like you're doing some of the accountability stuff as a manager with yeah. what you just described. So yeah, talk to us a bit about what maybe like a typical week would look like where 
yeah, how you try and set that up so you're not just pulled pillar to post and it's not like, Lewis, I need help with this, Lewis, I need help with that. And you're like, fucking hell, I need to get this done. I haven't been able to, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. How, how have you approached that over, over the years? Yeah, good. Well, first and foremost, let's talk about my own personal performance, Yeah. right? We, you, you mentioned this in the post yesterday, which we went through in the prep. So many recruiters will block out times in their diaries to do particular tasks. I'm going to spend three hours resourcing for this particular role. I'm going to spend two hours doing business development. But what does that actually mean? Like, do you know what I mean? What I've, uh, the biggest mindset switch and, and thing that I've seen with my own team as well in getting them to do it is let's make a small, tangible target for that time frame. And if it doesn't get done, we know for well we need to make it up somewhere. Do you know what I mean? So for example, I'm going to build a project of at least 30 great candidates within this hour-long period and they're all getting a first message, okay? I'm going to put 10 excellent prospects into our CRM system and they're all going to get a first message within this two-hour period. You know, all of that sort of thing. Rather than just being two hours of BD, two hours of resourcing, set small tangible goals that will set you on your way to obviously your weekly KPI or target. So that's how we do that and that's how I keep myself accountable moving forward. In terms of the team, being a manager... I think it's important to pivot because shit hits the fan, right? Mm. <laughs> you can't just, in an ideal world, you'd do the same thing, same schedule every week. That doesn't always work. We have the skeleton of my diary. It's very colour-coded, as you can imagine. So <laughs> everything yellow in my diary is internal meetings. Everything blue is sort of uh, tasks that I need to do. Could well be a candidate call. Could well be replying to this person, chasing up this person. You know, tasks, bits and bobs that I need to do throughout the day. Green stuff is community focus. Purple is business development. All of that sort of thing. I always make sure that there is, because you have, in, I don't know if everyone uses Google Calendar, but you have like a, a little bar of how much of you your much time, time. Yeah. is being being used. I keep an eye on that massively. Yeah, it's good, good little insight. It is. I, look, cause I, looked at, I looked at it two weeks ago and I was like, fuck me. 70% of my week is yellow, which means it's internal meetings. Yeah, we we need to change that. Like we need to change that straight away. And that's just the, the way in which I can keep myself accountable moving forward and be like, right, okay, what can I do here? Is this meeting vital? Do I, you know, do I need to be in this or can this be done in an out of room setting? And just making sure that I'm keeping myself accountable for, for doing my tasks and hitting my numbers personally mm. as well. But that said, I used to do all of my one-to-ones on a Monday morning. Mm. Monday morning at Wiser is meeting C. There's meetings left, right. I think it is for a lot of businesses, right? Mm. You don't, I don't actually start work until Monday at half one, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but um, one thing I pivoted recently, because I always felt like we were missing things on a Monday morning. There was, don't get me wrong, everyone's busy, heads down, but there's still opportunities out there. There's still messages that, that were coming in that if we respond too quickly, that we were going to win over a competitor or or whatever else it may be. And, I pivoted. So as opposed to just doing 15-minute, almost speed date one-to-ones with my team, I then changed that to, right, okay, because the team were like, we always feel like we're on a bit of a rush mm. and we can't really dig into things. And I agreed. I was like, we can't delve into your numbers properly. We can't. I can't delve into your pipeline properly. I can't advise you on every sort of granular detail and what we can do. So we shifted it. So now I have a half-hour one-to-one every day. Every throughout day? The, throughout the week. Yeah. Wow. Throughout the week. So rather than blocking out an entire, not, not every day with everyone. Oh. I mean, like, for example, obviously I have four team members. 
Oh, so in four days you have a half an hour. I have, half so everyone, every day. everyone has their own. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> that is not a good use of my time. Yeah. God love them. But rather no. than it being Monday, it rather might be Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Rather than it all being Monday in one block and I don't end up coming up for air until about half one, two mm. on a Monday afternoon. We'll do something with like Darius on a Monday. We'll have mm. Nush on a Tuesday. Sheldon on a Wednesday. We'll heat on a Thursday. Something right. like that. So we'll do that. And then everyone gets a uh, proper yeah. one-to-one and doing it that way. You don't always have to do things the way they've been done. Yeah. And I think me being that organised always, that was probably the downfall of that and something that I've recently come to terms with, that being like, yeah, just because this is how it's always done, this is how it's always worked, that it's the best way. Mm. Like getting yourself into a funk, sometimes you've got to freshen things up and pivot a little bit in terms of your organisation. No, that's a great insight. And I think with that being the setup, I, I guess kickoff at the beginning of the week is super important then, isn't it, to yeah. have that? Because you don't want anyone feeling like they're not set up for the week, not if they need a bit of help on what they need to focus on, all these things, you've got that Monday kickoff, these are our goals, and then the one-on-ones are like, I'm assuming, Lewis, how are you getting on? Yeah. Can I help you with anything? What more can I do to support you? And then there might be some accountability stuff going on. Yeah, and it's good. And then just on that as well, the last thing I'd probably say that was a big struggle in the beginning of becoming a a player manager was not doing the job for them. Mm. Like 2018, Lewis, or whenever it was I started, mate. I think I had my first intern in 2017. But when someone just asks a question, it's easy to just go, oh, fuck it, just come here. I'll do it. Like, do you know what I mean? Write this, write this, do this. Whereas in actual fact, what managers should be doing is challenging their team. So you come to me and be like, Lewis, obviously this is the situation, um, you know, X, Y, and Z, the the candidate has, uh, has not come back, not confirmed the interview. What do you think we should do? I'm like, well, what do you think we should do? <laughs> What do you think we should do? And then nine times out of ten, they'll come out with the answer. Mm. It's almost like a validation thing, especially when you've got you've got people who are early in their careers in your team. It's all just a validation thing, and the quicker you can break that habit, the easier life's going to be. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm I'm always mindful of that of being yeah, not just doing it for people. I think yeah. that, that's a great yeah. insight. So let's spend the last ten minutes then talking about SDRs of London. Sure, I do respect that. Obviously, no Jack. Well, I do feel like. I'd, I'd say most most recruitment companies outside looking in your space would go, you know what, Wise has done a really good job of building a community and, and communities. Yeah. No, Izzy's a huge part of that as well. She is, yeah, she's great. So, yeah, talk to me about, why don't we just start, which could be helpful for people? What would you say, because how long, SDRs of London, how long have you been doing that for? Three years. Three years, cool. Principles of making that success, principles of building a successful community. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. Just to give everyone, I'll give everyone a bit of insight as to what the bloody hell it actually is mm. first for, for people that don't know. So SDRs London is, is an inclusive peer-to-peer mentorship community for lead generators at tech companies based in, in the capital. Although we do tend to have people that come from like home counties and mm. here, there and everywhere. It's very popular with remote SDRs as well because they don't really have teams to like bounce off or mm. get advice from. So... So that's what it is. It's effectively a WhatsApp group for the most part. That's how it started. Started with 15 SDRs that I'd placed, 15 SDRs at companies that I'd quite like to work with. Put them all into a WhatsApp thread and went, there you go, mentor each other <laughs> for free and network. And and that's exactly what happened. And we went from 30 members to about 120 members in a week. We now have over 5,500 followers on LinkedIn, 1,200 members either in WhatsApp or mailing list. And we are consistent. We're doing an event with Aircall next week, for example, which is sponsored event should on track to be a sellout. And that will be a minimum of at least 100 people in our office next Thursday, okay. all doing that. But it's not that it's very easy when I say it that way. It's fucking hard. <laughs> events on and, is, yeah, it's hard. Is it, you know yourself. You know yourself. 
it wasn't always that way. And along the last three years, it would have been very easy to sell out at some point. So in the beginning, everyone was like, well, I'm putting all these SDRs in this WhatsApp thread, inviting them. And everyone's looking at me like, the fuck's what's this the Lewis catch? Gadsden up to? Yeah, yeah. What's, this, what's this recruiter trying to put us all into a WhatsApp thread? What the fuck's he playing at? Anyway, and it took time. It took time to build trust. And it took a lot of willpower to not just be like, oh my God, I've got a gold mine of candidates here. <laughs> I would love to just run this run this little roll past them. It should be, should be good. It'd be great. But I didn't. We stayed strong. We didn't sell out at any point. I've never posted a job in there, ever. Mm. And I think that's what built the trust. The other thing, so first and foremost, just to summarise, do not sell out. Mm. Do not sell out. Don't take the easy transactional win. You need to build something cool. You need to build something that's respected, that's going to add value to people, mm. not just your own personal gain. Secondly, you need advocates of what you're doing. Like, for example, I know with recruitment mentors and, mm. and, and sort of the, the platform that you have, you have, um, you know, hosts or people that come in and do particular things. Mm. Exactly the same for us. I am not an SDR. I cannot even though I understand pretty damn well, I'd like to think about the day-to-day of an SDR, there's still certain nuances and things that I can't do. And at the end of the day, I've never been one. I can't relate to their problems. I haven't sat in the seat. I haven't walked a mile in their shoes. So from that, pretty early on, I realised that we need some advocates on the ground, Mm. people that understand wiser, people that know that we're not in this for the wrong reasons, that we can put as leaders within the community that the wider SDR community can come to. And obviously there are experienced SDRs. The first ones we had were Ben Smith at ReachThest, Jack Nico at Salesloft, uh, Will Gay at Cognizum, all of those sorts of people. And they were just well well respected among the community. And that was a game changer mm. as well. And that's really what then set us on a trajectory because there was then that extra layer of people that fully understood, well, backed wiser, yeah. knew, knew I wasn't there just to try and you know, makes the world's best talent pool. Mm. But that was it. They, they were the two key things I would say were super successful and then set us on the right trajectory. And then let, let's just be real though, right? Revenue can be attributed to HR's London. Of course. Yeah, no, absolutely. Of course. And, you know, you know, we did, I didn't like, don't be wrong. First and foremost, it's there to help the SDRs. Yeah. But what's the byproduct? Yeah. Well, it goes back to my shop window analogy. Mm. We're always in the shop window now. We're in the shop window for, for most of the tech market. Because people, especially among the sales functions, people know us. We've got so many people in our communities now across, because it's not just SDRs of London. Yeah, you've got different ones. The SDRs and SDRs of London started getting good and getting promoted to AEs. So we have to create AEs of London mm. and start addressing issues about emerging account executives, people transitioning into that role. Mm. We had the elite for sales leadership and go-to-market leaders, and we've now got making moves, which is less so helping you along in your career, more so a catalyst for change. It's our women in tech sales community. Mm did an event the other week around, well, say the other week, it was just before Christmas, around maternity leave and being an individual contributor because obviously when you go on, on mat leave, you lose your OTE, which mm. is like, it's madness. Mm. So it's more of a catalyst for change, that one, and, and trying to educate the industry. But yeah, with regards to doing all of those sorts of things, you do something good for people, they will want to do something good for you. Mm. But your heart's got to be pure, your motivation's yeah, yeah. got to no, be 100%. right. <laughs> but like, let's just be real, right? Like, it's good. So like, I'm assuming, I'm, you can tell me, but I'm assuming you would have had moments where people would have reached out to you and gone, Lewis, I've actually been part of the community for ages and I actually would love some career advice or oh, actually yeah. think I might be, and then you might work with them, right? So that, that's one thing. And then also... It's going to impact BD. It's a differentiator. It's, Lewis, I've seen what you guys are doing with SDRs in London. Like, 
you're the type of recruiter that I want to sort of partner with. Yeah. You're probably going to be really close to what it is that people want. So I'm assuming it's going to help with BD, right? And then, and then yeah. you just said their air call was sponsoring. So then there can potentially end up being, if the partnership's right, some revenue generating opportunities. Absolutely. That can be directly attributed. So yeah, cool. Yeah, no, we're not just doing it completely. Obviously, you know, it, it makes commercial sense to do so, but it's been a long term build to get it to this stage. Yeah, yeah, but it's come and you've got to do not that. Selling out but yeah, early. not selling out early, being in the shop window, being seen to be doing the right things for the right reasons. And then obviously, yes, of course, it's an unrivaled referral network for work and candidates as a bar exactly. product. Yeah. Yeah. And then before we finish then, just on that, because I'm gonna make it clear, because I do really think what you guys are doing is great. So it started with a WhatsApp group. Yeah. Like now, what has it become from outside looking in? It looks like you create intentional learning events or yeah, events if it's like virtual or in person. Obviously, I know yep. you guys utilize your office space, which is absolutely awesome. So, if you ended up basically, obviously, besides the WhatsApp and getting other people to speak to like-minded people, it's then you're putting on some sort of learning events for around things that a lot of the community want help with. Yeah, is that pretty much it's it? Got to be current to the time. It's got to be relevant. Mm. For example, the air call event is doing more with less in the current climate. Mm around SDRs. So we've got heads of sales development, SDR managers speaking from some great brands like Fresh Relevance, Cognizant, obviously Aircall as well, and also Source Whale. Who mm. You'll know, we've got Lucy from Source Whale speaking as well. But it's just all about, it's got to be relevant, it's got to be in the time, and it's got to be there to service the community and help them with what they're doing. If all of a sudden, you know, a company came to us and being like, we want to sell more subscriptions, so we want to sponsor you for an event, we're like, yeah, it's not going to work, mm. unfortunately. We'd love your money, of course we would, but that's just that's not going to wash with a team. That'd be selling out. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We're not going to do that. It needs to be relevant. It needs to help its audience. Mm. That's sort of the, the key thing. But we'll do an in-person event every quarter per community, an online event every quarter per, per community, and then... Yeah, if anyone else wants to step up, you get people from the community all the time that want to improve their personal brand and do all of that sort of thing. And we're more than happy to give them that platform if they want to take a chance and do it. And that's, to be honest with you, that's how a lot of people come community host for us. Mm, love it. Well, look, Lewis, absolutely loved going into all that. I think um, just to round it off, I think 25-year-old Lewis would definitely be proud of what you've uh, <laughs> built and no doubt what you're going to continue to go on. Yeah, love your energy, mate. Love your passion. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the pod. Mate, thanks for having me. Been a blast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away. As you'll know, I'm your host here of the Recruitment Mentors podcast, but I'm also the founder of Recruitment Mentors. We're a online subscription-based learning and education platform. We're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning. If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement. But we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people, how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time, without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers. And we've ended up being a really great fit, modern fit for recruitment teams. We can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning, which they can access on demand. 
The thing that's really cool about what we're doing at Recruitment Mentors is that all of the people that your teams are able to learn from and the people that are delivering the learning content are people that are in role right now. They're billing. They're actively facing the challenges that your teams are. And a lot of the time they're amongst the top performers within their companies, which means your teams are going to be way more confident to learn and spend time on their learning when they know they're learning from people that are doing it right now, have been there and done it. There's nothing worse than feeling like training is not relevant and not current. The best place to find out more about Recruitment Mentors and if we can help you accelerate your team's performance is uh, send me a message on LinkedIn, connect with me on LinkedIn directly, and I'd love to connect with you and, and find out if we can help you get more out of your people.